Hey there, it's Carolyn. Before we start today's podcast, I wanted to tell you about a brand new challenge that we have starting over in the Homestead Kitchen membership really soon. This one is all about making your very own herbal oils and culinary oils and cosmetic oils and turning them into salves and balms for your herbal medicine cabinet. If you're interested in joining me for the Herbal Oils and Salves Challenge, then go to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Again, that's homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Hey, you guys, this is Josh and Carolyn with Homesteading Family, and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. This week, we're talking about food preservation on a budget. This is important because, you know, preservation equipment can be really expensive, but it doesn't necessarily have to be, so we're going to be covering that today. Right on, and I think yeah, it's it's. I know we're going into gardening season, but right behind that, you got to be preserving. Yes. And we're getting a lot of questions about getting this done on a budget. Some of the tools are expensive, and yeah. and um, so that should be a good discussion. You've yeah. got a lot of good knowledge there, good <laughs> things to share. Um, but first, jumping into the chit chat, catching up a little bit, and um, if you want to skip that, I don't know why you would, but if you do. <laughs> We'll have some uh, timestamps down below for you. Maybe they're busy today. Maybe they've got to go, you know, start some seeds or something. So if, if you're busy today, you can skip ahead to the main topic. I know I need to go start some seeds today. Yeah. And I can't even <laughs> get to the garden house because there's so much snow still here. <laughs> All right. You're going to go break the uh, break the crust on the snow oh, and wade your way. We... It's actually today, it's a little more like swimming through the snow because it's uh, yeah. raining well, on top of feet of snow and that is a mess i think we're hitting the melt hopefully um it while we're astronomically a few weeks away from spring astronomically okay yeah 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 and then (laughs) meteorologically (laughs) it's actually spring which is march 1st yes and uh, because that's actually when the weather patterns start changing they don't always line up with uh the sun and the stars um but the melt is on, so that's exciting. But it, it looks like I don't know how long it's going to take because we've still got near two foot of snow in places. It's a mess. Let's just put yeah. it that way. This is the, probably my least favorite season up here is mud season. Um, and it's kind of this old, icy, muddy snow. Anyways. It's coming, it's- yeah. <laughs> yep. But, Not time to leave the fireplace yet. No, but the, but the itch is on and planning needs to get done. So yes. we're going to venture out and I might even take you guys out there and check out some tools and a few things like that in a different oh, video. I got to share with you guys. I am so bummed about something that I should have seen coming. I love roses. My grandmother grew roses and I just, I love growing roses. So I've been starting roses and I can't say that I'm a great rose gardener yet, but I was really excited about these red climbing roses that I had on the front fence. Mm-hmm. Out by the drive. Yeah, out by the drive. And this year we had this great snow mulch. It just came down, it covered everything, and it was really covered with snow before we got super cold. This is a good insulator. Which is wonderful for the roses. So I didn't think much about it. And then we had this super cold snap where we got down to negative 12. We woke up one morning, it was negative 12.8 degrees Fahrenheit. 
and I went out the next day and looked, and the snow had melted. And well, we had a bunch of warm before that. Right, Sorry, to give yeah. some context, we actually warm, had a January thaw. Then it got really cold. And it really melted, and it exposed some of the rose. Yeah, and lost some of that cover, yeah. and then this... So I just walked out and saw that the whole heads of the rose... I mean, they're still... The, the main the, stock... The body will be the, okay. The rose itself will be fine, but they were getting some real nice growth, yeah. and they are, they are toasted. They are gone. <laughs> There's no hope for those particular <laughs> branches. And I should have run out and covered them, you know, but I, I just didn't realize the extent to which the snow had melted and exposed them. So I'm kind well, of Well, there is so much snow everywhere. It's piled up like eight yeah. feet high in places. It is. Yeah. So anyway. So um, anyways, well, that's leading right into, hey, what's going on? What's up with you? So I've been doing a teeny bit of seed starting. I got my onions done, finally. So the Jump, onions are right. up. They're looking good. They're off to a great start. I'm really excited about that. Um, and you guys, you know, last year I created this great seed starting system in the kitchen, shelves, lights, everything. And I really pictured it was just going to be there for seed starting season. <laughs> and then it turned into my kitchen shelving. Why and move so, it? It's why there. Move it? It's, it's handy. It, works. <laughs> it is completely covered with like baskets of onions and garlic and dried herbs and all these great things there. Now I've got to like re, I got to move all that stuff and figure out where to put them so we can start the seeds on the seed starting, starting well, was, shelf. And I was going to say, we were talking before we started rolling about various pressures right now in our life and feeling the pressure. And I've got to pressure you <laughs> to get that done because yeah. I'm going to wade through the snow to go get um, some hopefully starting soil and, um, you know, some little starter pots. Starter cells and everything. You got to get peppers going here quick. Yeah, we're a little late and, actually already. And they need some space on the shelf. Yeah. So, so I'm adding to the pressure. Sorry okay. About that. <laughs> That's all right. We can take it. So I've been not been doing that, <laughs> but the one thing that I'm really trying to do, and we talked about it last week a little bit when I was pulling out all that lard out of the freezer, all the fat out of the freezer mm -hmm. and rendering all that lard. Um, I'm trying to get ahead of all those projects that kind of stack up on you and you they're easy to put off, easy to put off until all of a sudden they cause a problem. One of those things is the amount of extra meat that we have in the freezer right now, namely gigantic birds. Like extra, I was trying to go extra 40, meat, extra meat. Well, we do have... 40 pound turkeys. We have two 40 pound turkeys in the freezer still that are there waiting for me to can them. These are from the turkeys we raised. Uh, They're last dinosaurs. Year. They're not turkeys, really. They are huge. You know they were oh good. my goodness. They were delicious. Very, very good. And they were moist. They, just they took were 10 wonderful. hours to cook. And they are phenomenal for canning because you get so much meat off of one single bird. Yeah. But they take up a lot of freezer space. And I know that once summer hits and spring hits and I get busy in the garden, I'm, I'm, my brain is going to totally turn a corner and not be focused on, let's get stuff out of the freezer and put it on the shelf. So I'm turning to that this week. I'm doing at least one of these giant turkeys and getting them onto the shelf, canning the meat. I might even can a meal out of it because we love those quick grab meals, um, canned meals. So yeah. anyways, just trying to kind of wrap up those winter projects before 
the winter wraps up <laughs> yeah, <laughs> completely. Good, good job. So what about you? What have you been up to? Well, before I go into that, I want to address the the 40 plus pound turkey because oh, these guys are probably going, what in the world are you doing with 40 pound turkeys? They're huge. And it was kind of a total mistake. So one of our, <laughs> one of our sons uh, got into raising turkeys to sell this year mm-hmm. and we needed a way to raise them and we decided to chicken tractor them. If you've seen our A-frames, they're tall, they've got a lot of room. And we said, hey, let's let's do a few turkeys in, in the track, the, now right. the turkey tractor, right? And um, and he's he's good teenager. He's off on his own, and so we just set him to it. And he's been out there moving him in the field. I hadn't really checked on in on him a whole lot, and we didn't really want to butcher the turkeys when we butchered the chickens. So we said, well, we'll just take them through a little bit closer to November, you know. And, and he's like, oh yeah, they're doing great. They're doing great. He didn't tell us they were becoming dinosaurs <laughs> and becoming huge. So we went to harvest these things. I was like, oh my gosh, your your people that are buying these are not they're not gonna be able to fit in the oven. They're not gonna know what to do. Um, anyways, but it is normal. North Idaho, and we're, we're, we're resourceful. Everybody loved them. They just, you know, um, we had a couple giant. people like saw them in half. Saw them in half, and actually <laughs> used a half a turkey for their Thanksgiving dinner. They were very gracious. Oh, um, uh, so we. But this year, this this year, we'll we'll um, we're well, we're going to start them a little bit later. Yeah, go a little bit shorter. So, anyway, so hey, that's just a fun story. Speaking of that, you guys, if you have not ordered your poultry yet this year, if oh. you're going to do meat birds, turkeys. Just go ahead and jump on it. Not only do we have strange supply issues going on, we also have a huge influx of people who are realizing maybe it's a good idea to grow a little bit of their own food. And so you've got more people looking at growing their own meat, which is a wonderful thing. But we also have the avian flu going around. So I didn't know if you guys are aware of that. But, you know, some of these big meat packers, chicken producers, broiler producers, I guess, have had to kill off whole chicken houses filled with birds because of the avian flu, which is going to put a little bit of strain on that system, which then ends up showing up in the consumer system. So. Well, and besides scarcity, obviously, the that just adds to the inflationary yeah. effects. And so, you know, like we've been saying, um, don't don't treat this season as transient. As yeah. you know, I, I know the feds are saying it's you know it's this and that. Away. We got we got a lot of issues, and hopefully that's the truth. But let's plan for the reality of things and keep building systems, keep putting systems in place. Whether you are growing your own food or whether you are supporting somebody local that you know has the land and can do that, and you guys are working together, co-oping it or or supporting a farmer. But really, really important to just yeah. keep. I think we're actually going to be diving into this topic a little bit more next week as a pantry chat. So this is going to be a good discussion about the value of homegrown food. Yeah, the cost of raising your own food is it worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, keep an eye out for that one. Yeah. What am I up to? Well, you know what? Just getting itchy to get out into the garden. And I'm (laughs) actually uh, heading out there today for the first time in four months. It's buried in snow. It's still hard to get to, but I can't wait. i got to get to looking at tools. (laughs) we got to get some seeds started. So we're going to find our way out there. Uh, The other thing that's really cool, i got to tell you, my friend Will over at Homestead Iron. We've talked about him. (laughs) Check this thing out. Um, He he sent us some tools to check out. And Will's tools are just... (laughs) These are heirloom. This is solid. I don't know if you can see this. And this is a new kind of hoe. And I generally like a stirrup hoe, but I think there are some challenges in in, uh, building, uh, you know, to the level that he likes to create things. Um, A stirrup hoe, this looks like it's going to work just as good. It doesn't have to go very far down in the soil. It doesn't disturb the soil a lot. And so you can run this across the top real easily for light weeding. And, And another thing that Will really gets right is the handle length. You probably can't see it all. 
I can't stand how short they make the handles on things. This is why your back can, hurts. Can you stand up with that thing yeah. so we get a perspective of like, so, if you put that on that. the ground, don't poke uh, me. You guys, watch your toes. Yeah. So, <laughs> the thing is sharp. <laughs> so this is, this is my height and it has a little bit of weight to it, but I can stand up straight yeah. and work the ground with this. And I absolutely love it. And, and I love his thoughtfulness into the creation of his product. So I'm gonna be talking more about tools and he's a great resource. Um, you know, there's a cost to them. They're, they're not cheap, but they are fantastic. So um, yeah, so I'm thinking about rehabbing the tools, just starting to get my garden plans together. Um, our, I don't think we've shared this, our DIY bean tunnel, I left, well not the bean tunnel, the greenhouse. So I wanted to know how much snow it could hold. We found out. <laughs> and, you know, I figured three, four inches, no problem. I'm generally, I've got a construction background. I've self-engineered a lot. I'm, I'm generally overkill in doing things. And I was not worried about it. And it literally, I don't even think it was three inches. And I looked out one day. And it was, and it was collapsed. Flat on and, the ground. And, Completely flat. <laughs> and now it's buried in nearly two foot of snow. So I'm, I'm going to poke around at that. And just trying to get the engines revved up and get things moving, even though we've got to wait for the snow to melt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I do want to address this tool for a second because it's so easy to get in the mindset that you'll just get the cheap thing because it's cheap and you feel like, well, you know, it'll probably last for long enough. I have now done that for a few years. I've gotten spades just from the hardware store, gone mm -hmm. and gotten a new spade. You know what? I have broken or bent every yep. single one of those. And it's like, how many years of the cheap version do you buy it over and over again before it's totally worth the expensive version that you never have to buy again. I mean, this thing we're gonna pass down to the kids. Well, this thing is yep. not gonna get broken. This thing is so heavy duty, you guys. It might be the most dangerous piece of equipment we have on the homestead because it's so sharp. <laughs> um, but, you know, it just, we've got to get out of this mindset of, oh, I'll just buy the cheap one and, and put the money into the thing that's going to last you. You don't end up wasting the time. You don't end up trying, you know, trying to fix it. I, I mean, I'm out there trying to bend back my spades going, I didn't think I put that much, you know, pressure on the thing. And so it just, this is really a mindset shift. We've gotten so used to having cheap available things. Yep. We really have to stop thinking that way and go backwards and say, buy it once buy it well, buy yeah. a really good quality thing. And this just absolutely falls into that. So I'm, I'm really excited about these And tools. you've got that spade that will I have you the, the rest now. of your life yes. now. And it's a, it's a yeah. one-time purchase. So yeah. we want to avoid cheap and find mm -hmm. value. Sometimes right. you can find value that's not very expensive. Right. Sometimes you've got to pay a little more for value, but we want to line those up instead yeah. of sometimes in the homesteader mentality, we're trying to DIY everything. We've got low budgets. And so we go cheap and we end up causing ourselves a more problem than it's worth when like, you said, you know, it's how, how much of a pain it is when you're working in the soil and that spade breaks yeah. and you got to stop. You can't find another one, you know, whatever it is that totally interrupts. And you had maybe an hour to get out in the garden before you go on the homeschooling or getting dinner ready or whatever it is. Yeah. And it screws things up. It does. So, it absolutely does. And hey, I believe um, we'll get you a link down below. And I believe that Homestead Iron, um, there's also a discount for you with a code. So we'll, we'll uh, get that down there below if you want to go check out uh, their tools. Don't reach for a serving spoon from the kitchen. If your spade breaks, they don't work any better. Just saying. Nobody told me. 
<laughs> okay, today we have two questions of the day. We're getting a lot of great questions, so we thought we better cover a couple of them. Cool. All right, so E. Kirby on canning chicken mm. says, could I add a different kind of seasoning, like taco or ranch seasoning? I love that idea. Uh, I'm a beginner, and I've seen some people say you can't help. Why, why wouldn't you be able to add different seasons? Well, this is a really good question because you can, you just can't add a pre-mixed store-bought mix of because. seasoning. Because there are things that are not supposed to be in your canned goods um, that you're not supposed to have in there. So that's why if you go and you read canning recipes and it says add all these individual spices and you're like, gee, it'd be a lot easier just to reach for my good old Italian seasoning mix... Um, the reason for that is, is sometimes the seasoning mix contain things that are not safety approved for canning. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, sometimes let's be real. Those seasoning mixes contain things that should not be safety approved for consumption either. Yeah. So if you're making your own mixes and you know that what you're dealing with are dry spices and seasonings in there only, you don't have thickening gums, you don't have fillers, you don't have all of that then you bet you can absolutely change out the spices. Just keep it to the same uh, ratio of dry spice as the recipe comes in, the tested or approved recipe, and you can absolutely do that. There are no um, dry herbs that you cannot put in your canned goods safely, just so you know that, to, that I've ever heard of at least or ever encountered. It's just you have to keep it in the same ratio and make sure that that's all in there. So, yes, you just have to do it the right way. And, cool. and that's why you get the mixed answers out there. Some people find it easier and just, you know, I'm sorry, but the USDA thinks we're all stupid and that we're we're just bent on killing ourselves. I think they want us to think we're stupid I, so I, that we just something. listen so to them. The regulations are so, like, you might do something really stupid, so we're not even going to tell you why unless you dig in the deep literature. We're just going to say don't do it because it's dangerous and you're probably going to mess it up. So... You know, when you know the reasoning, I, I don't think you guys are stupid. I think you guys are actually very able to make very wise decisions on all these things. Absolutely. So just use the right thing. Cool. All. all right. Mary West Carothers. Okay. Hey Mary, on Grow Great Onions from Seed. Great information about not saving seeds from an onion that bolted in year one. Yes. Um, I saved those seeds last year. Could I use those seeds to grow a green spring onion? I don't really want to throw out seeds. And you know what? This is what I love about you guys. You're thinking things through mm -hmm. and looking for solutions. Right. And that's the mindset. Yeah. yeah. So this is really important discussion. So what Mary's talking about is in the video that I did with Melissa K. Norris about starting onions from seed, we talked about if you have onions that bolt in year one, that's that's kind of a no-no. That onion will not properly store for you for longer. They're supposed to go to seed in year two. So if you have them go to seed in year one, that is an undesirable trait, and you do not want to save those seeds. For and then, storage onion. For storage onions, and because then you'll breed that quality right. in, and you'll ruin your storage onions. However, if you don't want to use them for storage onions, there's... There's no reason you can't use them for, yeah, spring onions. She's talking about green onions, mm -hmm. um, microgreen onions or sprouts. You could absolutely use it for all of those things. That would be fine. You just have to know that if that get mixed, gets mixed in with your good storage 
onions, you're causing yourself a problem. Yeah. So just make sure you keep them separate, keep them labeled well, and understand the problem with them. Don't go allow those to bolt and go to seed while you've then got, you know, some, some storage onion second year or something right. and all of that. So. Personally, for me, because I know how easy things get messed up, I'd rather just throw those to the chickens, let them have them, and then just keep the really good seeds. Um, but I understand not wanting to toss out seeds too. So yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm very bad at getting rid of seeds even when they're past viability. <laughs> yeah, I know. You, you want to make the most out of all our resources. That's getting that value yeah, out of what we have. It really is. So cool. So this, I th we've got another question here, or a series of questions that really just lead into, I think, the topic at hand. Yeah, this is the question for the main topic right. today. At home with Bear on IG post. I'm, a lot of thoughts go through my head there about the bear. Um, I'm curious what preservation tools you'd recommend for a beginner on a budget. What's worth it, what's not? This is my first year doing a garden large enough to hopefully put up a good deal uh, for my family, and that's awesome, good for you, it's congratulations. Exciting. Just so excited to see you doing that. Um, just not sure where to invest time and resources to do it well, and we can totally understand that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, should they invest in a pressure cranner, a freeze dryer, a dehydrator, a vacuum sealer? Mm -hmm. Help. Good, good thoughts. Yeah. So I'm going to, you're going to just take the show here and, and uh, yeah. help us out. Well, first of all, congratulations on growing that much food. Oh, that's yeah. that's so, so cool. exciting. That's a really good step. And this, I think this is just such a valuable conversation because, you know, here we've started talking a lot about freeze dryers and, you know, we're always talking about dehydrators and pressure canners. And these tools are expensive. This is... No, oh, especially the freeze dryer. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. And especially to get good quality versions of these tools mm -hmm. that are going to last, like we were talking about a little bit ago, um, they really, they take a lot of saving up. And so sometimes you've got other goals for your money, or maybe you're just like, there just isn't that money. We've had seasons like that where there just really isn't any extra. Um, so I think this is a really valuable discussion because food preservation does not have to be expensive especially the more natural versions of food preservation, the ones that happen in nature by themselves, are not that expensive. In fact, they can be completely free. They just take a little more fuss in working with. So what I mean by that is fermentation. You know, if you've got an old mayonnaise jar, you can ferment something. Mm -hmm. um, dehydration. If you have a dry spot that, you know, uh, get some warm air movement across it, you can dehydrate something. You do not need a machine to do this. So uh, oven, you can use your oven. You correctly. can also use your oven. You can use uh, different solar options. I mean, yeah. quilters have just set things out in, yeah. in the sun, you know, in the right environment and tried them. So there are a lot of options for pretty, absolutely free. Like just go with what you already have in your kitchen and it will work. But if I had to start from scratch and I didn't really have anything and I didn't have much of a budget, but I did want to start building up my food preservation arsenal. I kind of came up with the order that I would attack it now that I know what I know. Cool. The very first thing that I would get and totally recommend everybody get is a really, really good heavy bottom stock pot with a lid. And I know that does not seem like a food preservation tool per se, um, but 
you're gonna use it all the time. It is actually super important to food preservation to be able to cook things and cook large batches of things, whether you're dehydrating um, or you're canning or uh, freezing or just about anything else. You have to be able to cook it down. And a good heavy bottom stock pot is really important to that. But here's the thing, if you can get one with a rack in it, it also doubles as a water bath canner. There you go. So that is going to get you all the way into water bath canning. You do not need to go get a specific water bath canning pot to safely water bath can. You just want some way of picking your jars up off the bottom of the pot. You can get a, um, you can get, what do I want to call it, aftermarket. <laughs> you can get aftermarket racks for just a couple dollars. You just have to check the diameter of your pot. So that would be my number one purchase for anybody. Um, I am amazed at how many kitchens I go into and they don't have a decent size stock pot. And by decent size, I mean at least three gallons, depending on the size of your family. If you're just one or two people, three gallons. If you're more than that, consider like a five gallon, big, heavy duty stock Can, can I ask you a question there? Yeah. Because even if you're not a large family, I mean, mm -hmm. obviously we're a large family, uh, our garden's large, we're putting up a lot. But when it comes to preservation time, there's often a lot of work. And the more you can batch things, yes. the more efficient you are with your time. So even if you're a smaller family, um, it seems to me that, you know, leaning toward that five gallon, the, 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 right. the bigger that you can handle, the more you're going to be able to do at one time and make good use of your time. Well, and here's the thing with that. You can cook one gallon of something in a five gallon pot, but you can't cook four or five gallons of something in a one gallon pot. Like, you know, so get the bigger, you can make a lot more <coughs> use out of it. And that will be, that'll get you through, again, jams, jellies, pickles, water bath canning. It's going to get you through a lot of the dehydrating, yeah. a lot of those things. Yeah. Okay, so next thing I would do is I would go and invest in canning jars and lids. And I would get a lot of those. Um, and the reason for that is, yes, obviously you have your water bath canning in your pot. But you can also ferment a ton in your jars. So it becomes just this great use, multi-use tool, these jars. Um, we don't even use Tupperware in our house. We use mason jars. That is our Tupperware in, in mm -hmm. the house for almost everything. A few odd-shaped things. We've got Pyrex bowls with, you know, snap-on lids. Um, but they become so useful for everything that you're doing. So that would be my next thing. And those do, you know, they cost a bit, they're expensive. You have to get boxes of them. And especially when you're getting started, it takes a while to build up enough of a supply, so. Yeah, and they can, are they, I haven't, we haven't talked about it in a while because we've got a pretty good supplier. Yeah. Or, you know, or what are you hearing? Or is it pretty easy to get a hold of jars right now? It kind now? of comes and goes. Still it's like they, they come in a yeah. surge and you get a whole bunch of one kind and then they disappear and you can't get them anymore. It's always hard to tell what's a localized problem for us because we're certifiably in the middle of nowhere. So <laughs> we're kind of into the line for getting supplies up in our local area. But from what I'm hearing, it feels like it's, it's kind of hit or miss. So when they appear, Grab them. Be Get ready, yeah, yeah. Just be ready to stock yeah. up and keep your eyes out, not waiting until it's oh, I got, I got to have those jars. I got to have those jars, and then you hit a lull or you hit a spot right. where everybody's thinking the same thing. So, um, you know, yeah. Get on getting those along with the lids. Right. So the next thing I would get after that, because now you've got water bath canning covered with your supplies, you've got fermenting covered with your supplies. 
Um, you have dehydrating covered if you have cookie sheets mm -hmm. laying around and you have an oven or a good airflow spot. So the next thing that I would go ahead and invest in is a pressure canner. Now, you guys know, if you've followed us for very long, I love my all-American pressure canners, and they are the type of pressure canner they are going to last for generations. We're gonna hand these things down. They are really gonna last, they're yep. very heavy duty. However, they are really expensive, and I do need to qualify here that the cheaper Presto-type um, canners, pressure canners, do work. They and work they, and fine. They work, they work, yeah. work fine, right? They work fine. Um, they're not going to last as long. They've got parts that need to be updated and, and maintained every single year. Uh, so I feel like they're a little bit more of a fuss. But, you know, sometimes what you have is the ability and the time for fuss and not the funds. Yeah. So go ahead and get yourself one of those. That would be kind of my next level thing. Um, and then after that would be go ahead and get yourself a decent dehydrator, electric dehydrator. You can dehydrate out in the sun. It is very challenging to get a consistently good product without watching it really, really closely. And you read about some of these old, um, you know, some of the Native American tribes that would dehydrate all the time. There's always the story of the kid who had to sit there all the time. Somebody's got to watch it. Somebody's it needs a lot of attention, even like a solar dehydrator. And people really get into those, and yeah. they're great tools. You just mm -hmm. have to know that it takes your time. You're, you're, you know, you're not using the modern technology, which yeah. is great. We want to know how to do that in a lot of cases um, if we need it. But it's going to suck up somebody's right. time, uh, especially with that dehydrating, to manage it and, and make it sure really you're, you're getting it right. Yeah, so if you're looking, you know, you're, you're probably busy like the rest of us and you're trying to manage all these different things, that electric dehydrator just really smooths that out and yeah. makes that a much more consistent process. You know, I totally understand that this list of things may take several years to get through, depending on where you're at and your financial journey and where you're putting the rest of your resources. But another one that I really didn't cover that is a great way to go because you probably already have it, and that's freezing things. Mm -hmm. I was putting things in the freezer. so um, Which you're probably doing already. Right. I mean, if you're raising a little bit of meat, you know, you can freeze vegetables if you need to. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's one way to go. So if, if you, you know, you can use that resource right. multiple ways. Yeah. So if you already have that, just put that to as much use as you can. Keep that thing packed the best you can. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's another good way to go. But I'm assuming that you're looking to diversify yeah. your food storage there. So anyways, that would be the order that I would approach it if I needed to. Um, really, a freeze dryer is wonderful. We're really enjoying the freeze dryer, but as far as you know, having a tight budget and needing to start preserving, it's actually down the line a little bit. It, it's great, I'm gonna use it a ton and I'm really appreciating it, but you can go a long ways before you get something that's that expensive. Oh man, right, we're 19 years yeah. you know, building that. Um, but it is something to save up for. It, it, it does is. have a huge impact and I, I wanted to add in and all these things and trying to figure out how to save money and you know, get started you know, yeah. as inexpensively as you can to make it worth your while in this journey if you're serious, like uh, at home with the barriers here and, and getting a garden going mm -hmm. and putting up food and building resiliency. Um, you know, if you've got to buckle down for a little while and eat, you know, 
dried goods, we've done it, rice, beans, <laughs> whatever we've got to do, it's worth that for the time to get some extra money saved up to get some of these good tools going uh, sooner. Yeah. And it's worth the sacrifice in your life somewhere if you're committed here to do that so that you can get the proper tools going. Absolutely. Because then you get some acceleration once you've got a few good tools in there mm -hmm. and your garden's producing and you've got the preservation methods and you're going to see, you know, just your resiliency in the pantry uh, in, in other areas really increase quickly. Hey, there's one other method that we didn't cover that's a really good one, especially since you're gardening, and that's common storage, which is... Mm -hmm maybe known as root cellaring. Some things don't need to actually be in the root cellar um, or that area. So if you have an area of your house that you can make use of, that's a big if, right? A lot of people don't. A lot of people don't have a cool basement or you know, something like that. But if you do, make good use of it. Check out the crawl choice. space. A lot of people have crawl spaces. Oh, We've done that. And that doesn't cost you anything, yeah. you know, and is a good place, good, cool, common storage often. Yeah, get you a good start. Yep. So, hey, you guys. It's been good hanging with you. <laughs> we'll talk to you real soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.